Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. We've got a special episode today in partnership with Meadowlark and Levitard and Friends with reaction from Landon Donovan, Chris Whittingham, and me to the U.S. men's national team's scoreless tie at El Salvador in the World Cup qualifying opener. Landon is in San Diego, where he coaches San Diego Loyal. Chris is in South Florida. I am in El Salvador for just a couple more hours. Guys, it's great to see you. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Doing all right, Grant. <laughs> Excited to do this. I am going on 90 minutes sleep after working most of the night, so any apologies, I'll get out of the way right now. But lots to talk about, From even though it was a scoreless tie. And let's dive right in with you, Landon. What were your sort of top-line thoughts watching that qualifier? Yeah, it looked like a typical away qualifier, especially early in, in a cycle. You could tell from the El Salvador perspective, they were still of belief that they can qualify for a World Cup. I, I kind of always chop these qualifiers up into games and the timing of the games when the teams like El Salvador still believe and you don't know early on, they might be a team that can contend and qualify versus sometimes you'd get towards the end of the cycle and you'd play a team that was mathematically eliminated or all but eliminated and the vibe was much different. So that was a typical team that believes they're still in it performance. And then it was just really a bunch of half chances, a couple for El Salvador, a few more for the U.S., mainly on headers, but nothing, no real clear opportunities for either team and that's kind of what I would have expected in this game. And is there a disappointment at all? I mean like it seems like over the years we've always sort of looked at getting a point on the road in World Cup qualifying as if you do that and you win your home games you'll qualify for the World Cup that's okay but then Tyler Adams and a couple other guys this week were saying we want a nine point week which would mean two road wins and winning all three of these qualifiers. When you heard him say that, what did you think? It made me think exactly what I was talking to people about yesterday is until you play in these games, you have no idea. Everybody from afar can, you know, open up an app and see the result and go, oh my God, how did we tie El Salvador? You have no clue until you play in these games. So I think it was probably a little unrealistic to say a nine-point week. I like the optimism from Tyler, but the reality is is if you can take a point from your first game on the road, you take a point, you get out of there, and the real pressure is in the home matches. You have to win your home games, and you might slip along the way. Canada's a very good team. There's no guarantee we beat Canada on Sunday, but this is uh, an okay start. Not perfect, but it's an okay start. And now we got to win at home and then try to get something out of the game in Honduras. Chris, watching this game from where you were, what stood out to you the most? Well, what stood out to me kind of in the aftermath was a, a sense of negativity. You're right that there is kind of the feeling, Landon, that 
the U.S. because they didn't beat El Salvador at some grand disappointment because we've been promised this golden generation. All these talented players are going to Europe and succeeding. Therefore, you hammer El Salvador 5-0 away from home. And I'm just kind of curious as to, you know, why that didn't happen, um, but also why U.S. fans haven't learned this lesson yet. Maybe because there's new fans and there's new hype, but... I don't know what fans were expecting. I would have liked for some more open play chances. There were a couple of opportunities for Josh Sargent, particularly around the penalty area, to just have a strike or just a couple of loose passes in the final third. There could have been more creation there for sure. And I thought the U.S. started pretty well in the game and then kind of had to survive. But I just don't know what fans were expecting, really. This was going to be ugly. You're going to have to probably nick something off a set piece. I thought Miles Robinson should have scored fairly early in the game, and you wonder how much the game changes at that point. But I think I'm kind of seasoned as a U.S. fan of knowing that these games are different. (laughs) Yeah, you're finally learning. Um, We need everybody to learn. I I think the reality is, is you do have a bunch of new or newer U.S. fans uh, who come around usually after every World Cup, and start to learn the game. But until, again, until you have seen enough of these games, you can't fully understand. And for the players, until you've played in enough of these games, you don't understand how challenging it is. So I promise if you, when you interview guys after the game, I didn't go through and read every interview, but they would say, wow, that was more difficult than I thought. And and the reality is when you look at this, guys, You look at El Salvador's roster, just look at their roster. In essence, it's a couple guys who are of MLS quality, but majority are guys who play through Central America or in in USL here, the league we're in. So when you compare that to some of the guys playing at big European clubs, on paper you would say, yeah, of course you smash them. But it just doesn't it doesn't happen that way. I can't stress that enough. Can you describe what that is, though? Because I think a lot of fans are kind of like hearing this cliche, right? It's difficult to win away in CONCACAF. I saw a stat last night that like 18% of away teams have won in CONCACAF since like 1998. It's really hard. Oh, wow. But can you describe what that is? Sure. It's a mix of things. And you know this too, Grant. It's, it starts when you get on the plane in the States and head over, right? So it's a, a travel day that gets you there. The minute you arrive in the airport, you feel like you are in a version of hell, right? I mean, there are people everywhere. They are you know, somewhat friendly, but for the most part, they want their, everybody in that country knows what's going on on that day at that time, and they're wanting you to lose to their team. So then you get to the hotel, And it's this constant mental challenge of trying to focus on a 90-minute soccer game when there's all these other distractions going on. And so until you have enough of the experiences, you end up focusing on all the other things instead of the 90 minutes of soccer. And that's a challenge, especially for a young, talented group. That is a challenge. Four years from now, I think this same exact team goes there and wins 2-0. But until they have enough of those experiences to draw on, it's going to be a challenge. This is going to be a battle through all of qualifying. I promise you Honduras will be the same next week. Panama is going to be the same. Costa Rica is going to be the same. Jamaica is going to be the same. Mexico is going to be even more difficult. We got to get used to seeing this over the next 13 games. Land, what was the craziest 
situation or response or stuff you ever dealt with at an away qualifier in CONCACAF? There were a few off the field in Costa Rica one trip. I remember getting to the hotel and when we arrived, it was like 8 p.m. We had dinner up in, up in the training room getting treatment and all of a sudden a big truck pulled up with about 12 massive speakers on it and started playing music. And I'm not kidding you guys, it went from 9 p.m. until 9 a.m. all My night God. with the wow. bass just blaring outside the hotel. So as you can imagine, it was a little difficult to sleep that night. Uh, that, was, that was off the field of memory. On the field at the old Saprissa Stadium, the level of intimidation there is hard to describe. So when you get there, it's dark, really dark. And in the locker room, it was not a nice new stadium. And above our locker room was where their supporters section was, their whatever, Barra Brava or whatever it was. And as you guys know, and you saw yesterday, Grant, people arriving at the stadium hours and hours and hours before the game. So two hours before the game, when we arrive, that place was full and they were chanting and cheering. So our whole locker room would shake because they were right above us. It would shake, like physically shake. And I don't care how many times you've been there. If you are a human being, you are going to feel some intimidation in that moment. You know what's crazy is they built a new national stadium in Costa Rica built by the Chinese government as part of their <laughs> foreign policy. And it's a lot less intimidating, totally less intimidating than the old Saprissa was because there's a track around it. It's very modern. U.S. still loses there regularly, but like it's not <laughs> as intimidating. And I just found out here in El Salvador, I love the Cuscatlan Stadium. It's very intimidating. The Chinese are going to build a stadium here, too. <laughs> so it's uh, we'll see how long it takes. But they're they're beginning construction on some hundred million dollar national stadium for which they will then China will extract all the natural resources of El Salvador in return. But the, the global political stuff is a real story here. And uh, I, I do wonder if it will be as intimidating in the future when the U.S. plays El Salvador in, in that future stadium. But Landon, are there any particular U.S. players' performances that stood out to you from an unexpectedly positive way or even an unexpectedly negative way? Honestly, not really. Um, I, I, that game all in all, and I'll be curious to hear your thoughts, Chris, that game all in all was exactly what I thought it would be. I thought it would be choppy, disjointed, fouls, ugly guys who you thought would have better performances because they are better soccer players than they showed because they're on a bad field in bad conditions in a new country they've never been to Serginio comes to mind right you expect better but it's just not the reality i watched the barcelona game against hatafe last weekend and Serginio comes in for 30 minutes and he's really good really good and then you watch him last night and you're like is this the same player <laughs> um, he's clearly a talented, good player, but it's just not, it, it ends up not being about soccer. And so it, it became exactly what I thought it would be. There were a few good moments, you know, you know, Weston had a few good moments. There was, but it was, it was what I would have expected. And 
Serginho tries a couple of skill-related things. It's like, no, man, <laughs> the skill here, it's, it's not what this is about. But, like, I, I've always kind of described CONCACAF as, like, a magnetic force where, like, Tyler Adams is usually very controlled. Obviously, he patrols the midfield so well. But he's, he does it in a very controlled way, and it's about dominating territory. There were times where it just seemed like he was chasing after guys and was like really trying to put a tackle in and kind of show, you're not going to shoulder me off the ball. There was one really good moment where he had where just won a physical duel and was able to hang on to possession. But I thought he was kind of drawn into the occasion. The refereeing is always all over the place. There were some moments where ticky-tack fouls are called, and there's some moments where Haynes' challenges go unwhistled. So again, like for me, I actually thought that the U.S. in the first first 10 minutes like okay this is going to be a lot different like the U.S. are playing here um, I kind of read reports that the playing surface was not going to be as kind of ugly and, and, and bad to play on so it was like well the U.S. are playing some decent stuff but look for me CONCACAF is a magnetic force that draws you into it you cannot escape it and you, you go running around chasing challenges and you're trying to figure the game out more than you're trying to really implement your style of play, which is, I think is probably the thing that's most frustrating to Greg Berhalter is just, I have ideas about how we want to play and they're very hard to execute in these kinds of conditions. Yeah, if I'm Greg and he knows this as well, I mean, he's played in all these games, you almost have two completely different mentalities. And I wanted to get into this too with the, the lineup selection. You almost have two completely different mentalities when you play away and at home in CONCACAF. At home, you enforce your identity and the way you play, and you dominate teams that way. On the road, it's just survival. It's just sur If you have a few stretches where you can enforce yourself on the opponent and, and do that, great. But the reality is, is it's hard to sustain that for 90 minutes for all the reasons we've talked about. So you just survive. If you make a few special plays, you win the game. If not, you likely draw the game. And you get out of there, hopefully healthy, and you move on to the next one. It's interesting. Greg Berhalter, in the post-game press conference, we asked him different questions, but he thought, like what Chris was saying, that it was a little too hectic at times in this game, that like he wanted to see maybe a little more control, but it's just really difficult to try and do that in this environment. I wanted to bring up Josh Sargent because he's a center forward. He's gotten a fair number of opportunities to start in significant games for the U.S. now. Hasn't lit it up. Hasn't been terrible. Landon, you played center forward at times for the U.S. over the years. What do you think about Josh Sargent? And at what point should potentially Greg Berhalter consider starting somebody else in that position? So I don't, we don't have all the context, so it's hard for me to know. I promise you that Greg and his staff planned out this week very carefully. So just because guys played in this game does not mean they are the first choice starter at any position. I just I want to preface that. So obviously Christian wasn't there, so that tells you that. But I think the like for like with Josh Sargent is, and it's not exactly the same, but it, it reminds me of McBride a lot in that when the service was good, McBride was at times the best striker we had, no question. But when there wasn't service, it was hard for him because Brian wasn't the type of guy, nor is Josh, who can take the ball, spin a guy, and score, or take the ball, dribble by a guy, and score. So in a game like that, I, you know, respectfully to Josh Sargent, I, I thought he was going to struggle in that game unless there was any kind of good service, and that's what ended up happening. So he needs, you know, when he plays in Germany now and at Norwich, 
when there's good service and, and he can be around the goal and in front of the goal, that's where he's very good. But if the game doesn't look like that, it's going to be hard for him. And he still battled and, he, and he, he worked hard and he gave the team some good moments in that way, but it was going to be a hard night for him. I do want to give a shout out to Tim Ream because I know of any player who started last night when that lineup came out, Tim Ream doesn't want to go on Twitter anytime soon, but maybe he does after the game because like the response was, wait, Tim Ream was solid. Uh, and, and it's funny how fandom works, right? But Tim Ream clearly chosen along with DeAndre Yedlin to start in this game may not be, as you say, the number one choice in that position, but the experience was there with Tim Ream. The experience showed he played, he played a good game. He did. And this is to my point earlier, guys, is there's no question that there are other center backs who are more athletic more talented in some ways than Tim, but Tim's been through these wars. Like he's seen all of these and DeAndre's seen a bunch of them too. And there's a lot of value in that. So I'm sure, like I said, Greg was very calculated in who he was playing. I'm sure it'll be a completely different team in a lot of ways on Sunday against Canada and then completely a different team again against Honduras. And one thing that, that people need to pay attention to as these three game weeks now start happening. This is new in CONCACAF, right? So there will be a very distinct advantage for the US and Mexico as you get to the end of these three game weeks. The other teams just don't have the depth and I don't care how fit you are, it's almost impossible for any player in world football with travel in these environments with the heat to play three games at a high level in a week of, of this quality. So that will be a big, big piece of this as qualifying goes on and, and you will see the U.S. team and the Mexico team in particular really take advantage of that. I'd also presume a, a day less training would probably be difficult as well because you're already trying to piece together something so quickly. But I kind of wanted to ask you, Landon, did you ever feel like there was a moment when you crossed the Rubicon where you went from not being ready for those kinds of moments and occasions to you you were and your teammates were and you kind of felt comfortable in these environments as much as anyone can? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but one game actually, and it was, it was at the Cuscatlan, comes to mind. I was in my early 20s, and I, the reason I remember the game so vividly is before the game, Bruce came to me and he said, we want you to wear the armband for this game. And we had a two-game two qualifying week. We were playing away at El Salvador and then home to Panama. And for those two games, he gave me the armband. He spoke with the older players and ran it by them first, Claudio, and wanted to make sure that they were on board with it. And we went away to El Salvador and we won 2-0. Eddie Johnson scored and maybe McBride. And I did feel in that moment like that was a turning point. Yes, it was El Salvador, and at that point they weren't a great team, but it was still hard to go there and get points. Other teams had gone there and, and drawn games or lost games. And then we went home and we smashed Panama, and that did feel like a little bit of a turning point for me personally. But we also had a very veteran team. I think Frankie Haydeck played in that game. Maybe Agus, we had McBride, we had a very veteran team. So we had a bunch of guys who knew exactly how to play in those games. We're going to be doing these podcast discussions after every U.S. World Cup qualifier. Sometimes it'll be night of the game. Sometimes it'll be the next day. 
Landon's got a busy schedule. He actually coaches a team, remember, folks. But uh, really enjoyed talking uh, to both of you. Chris Whittingham, Landon Donovan. Can I very quickly interrupt? Uh, Grant, I feel like you asked us questions. We should ask you, what was the scene like? What was the atmosphere like? Give us give us some some details of what it was like in the Cuscatlan. It was my first time there. It was awesome. But, you know, we got there, the media bus, like, it was like five hours maybe four and a half hours before kickoff. And that's just the way it can work sometimes in Central America. They open the gates eight and a half hours before kickoff for fans. Everyone had to show their vaccination card, but it was a packed house. I have never heard a national anthem louder than the one I heard last night. Like it was this sort of visceral overwhelming thing that I wasn't expecting. And I've been to a lot of these places over the years and it kind of knocked me on my rear. And I did wonder in that moment what the U.S. players might have been thinking, especially the ones like Serginio Dest who hadn't played in that type of environment before. But, you know, the field didn't look too bad on TV, I think. But like Tim Ream was saying, not a great field at all um, (laughs) after the game in terms of, of his experience of it. So... You know, that was kind of my impression of the whole thing. I'm kind of bummed out that they're going to leave this stadium at some point as their national stadium because I love the sort of classic Latin American, Central American style stadium. Closest thing we ever had to it in the U.S. was RFK Stadium, which I think is condemned now. But yeah, just uh, I I would encourage any listener, like if you have any interest in traveling to a game and away qualifier anywhere in CONCACAF, do it. It, It's awesome. You'll be safe as long as you're smart. And uh, it's a a real kind of life experience. That's awesome. Thanks for interrupting. No, that's totally fine. I'm glad you you wanted my sense of things here because I like being on site for stuff. But Like I said, we're going to do more of these podcasts after future World Cup qualifiers for the U.S. Football with Grant Wall in partnership with Meadowlark and Levitard and Friends. Landon, Chris, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Grant. Thank you. Looking forward to Sunday. 